Hello everybody, thank you very much for downloading this episode of the Cinema Catch-Up Club. For more information, you can visit the Cinema Catch-Up Club's official Facebook page. Just search for the Cinema Catch-Up Club. Or you can visit our website, thoughtjarproductions.com. This podcast is available on iTunes and SoundCloud, and we would really appreciate your subscriptions there, so pick your service of choice. For more information about this and other podcasts we produce, please visit thoughtjarproductions.com. And now, for this week's episode. Hello everybody, and welcome to the Cinema Catch-Up Club podcast, the podcast for films that you probably should have seen by now. I'm your host, Stephen Platt. Thank you very much for downloading this week's episode. And this week, we're watching The Matrix as it turns 20 years old. Yes, everyone should feel very old to learn that The Matrix is now not one, but two decades old. (laughs) Uh, Joining me as always, we have someone who has seen the film and someone who has not. Our guest who has not seen the film... It's Tegan Mulvaney, everybody. Hello. Tegan, you have not seen The Matrix. Well, I might have seen a third of it, but I can't remember any of it. I just, I remember Mr. Walker in year 10 putting it on at Linwood Senior High School to keep his really dickhead filled um, English class from being dickheads. But um, I don't think I watched any more than a third of it. And I can't remember any of it. Okay, so, so what do you actually know about The Matrix then as we, as we prepare uh, to There's a that? lot of green and there's pills and heaps of Hugo Weavings. And um, I, when I think of The Matrix, all I think of is when I used to work at Video Easy and um, when I worked there was when Matrix Revolutions uh, and Reloaded came out and mm. just wall-to-wall Reloaded and Revolutions, which mm. are all now in every Salvos and Good Sammy store across Australia, I think. Mm. So that's all I see, Walls of Green and Keanu. Yes, well, uh, you're correct. There is Green and Keanu and a significant number of weavings, uh, I think it's fair to say. Excellent. Well, joining us as a guest who has seen the film to help guide you on this adventure, your Morpheus, if you will, it's Scott McCardle, everybody. Hello. It's been a while since you've been on. Yeah, what yeah. was the last? I feel like I did um, Theory of Everything. It was It was actually just after that. It was The Dark Knight. It was... Uh, oh, on my birthday. Yeah, your birthday, just before you moved to Sydney. Yeah. How'd that go? That's, uh, <laughs> um, I'm back, everyone. <laughs> he <laughs> just sure... so recently. <laughs> yes, he sure is. Uh, but it's lovely to have you back, Scott, and uh, particularly because we get to watch The Matrix. So in a sort of vague, non-spoilery sort of way, what, what can you tell uh, Tegan and any other listeners who don't know about this film, what can you tell them about The Matrix? Uh, as my year 10 religion teacher told us when he put it on um, at our very private Catholic school, is it's it's the New Testament <laughs> in a weird way. Wow. Okay. There's a lot of year 10 teachers using this film is what I've read. I remember, the only thing I remember from year 10 was thinking it was like I was, they'd stolen the story from Terminator 2 because it about machines and mm. things. Whether that's re- whether that's true or not well, remains to be seen because I should have probably watched the film to back that up, but I didn't. That's just what the decision I made. Yeah. What were you doing instead of watching the film in English class? Did you just like leave and go for a walk? Probably. Look, it was 
So Linwood High is like a really good school now. Um, but back in 1999, mm. <laughs> it was not uh, the reputable uh, high scoring in the... What is it? The ATAR, whatever is that what it's called oh, yeah, now? Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. Back when it was the TE, we weren't very good at the TE. Mm-hmm. Um, we were very good at housing um, and facilitating knife fights for um, for various gangs in the area. Mm. Um, so I think making us watch The Matrix was pretty cool, but uh, I think we chose to jump out the window and stage a fight. If anyone is listening from Linwood, I'd just like to reiterate that the school is great today. Today. And, uh, yes. And uh, I think from the year, probably the year 2002, it went, would when that our be a, classes had yeah. left. <laughs> I was going to say, it's, would it have anything to do with a certain T. Mulvaney graduating? Uh, who knows? Mm. <laughs> At least I graduated. That's true. Uh, well, with all that being said and done, should we watch The Matrix, guys? Yes. Mm-hmm. All right. For those of you listening at home, pop in your DVDs and prepare to learn Kung Fu as we watch... The Matrix. And welcome back, everybody. We have just finished watching The Matrix. We, of course, mean Tegan Mulvaney. Hello. And Scott McArdle. Hello. So. It's all these numbers all over the walls. Yeah, it's it's Ooh, kind of weird. Green. And some odd, like, Japanese characters yeah. going past and... Mm, it's funny joke about blonde, brunette, redhead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, we have just finished uh, watching this this uh, seminal sci-fi film from 1999. And Tegan, that was your first time watching it the whole way through. Yeah, it was. What do yeah. you think? Um, I got about like a third of the way into the film and was like, why did I think this was like Terminator? And then it finally clicked when they had the one tiny reference to something that could be like Terminator in the film. And then I watched it all the way through from there and it was really fun. Mm. So specifically the, um, the, the, the fact that the bad guy all along was AI. AI. Mm. Yeah. And not like Haley Joel Osment. AI. Yeah. No, no. <laughs> but like... Which was just not a great film yeah. in a lot of respects. It's that desert of the real shot where it looks like Terminator in the future where like the first time you see the future, like the skull gets crushed. That's it. yeah. yeah. Mm. No, that was a, really, it was a really fun movie. I think I was saying before, I can see why all of the disenfranchised 15-year-olds who were my friends at the time mm. really loved this film. They were all into like happy core and hardcore music mm. they're all prodigy fans and yeah and this this movie's just like a living walking breathing happy core hardcore song it's wonderful it is and, and re-watching it because i i think the last time i watched it was was about 15 years ago it's been a long time between um sips from from the matrix it's um it's very the fact that it's so stylized, I think, has actually helped it in a lot of ways. In terms of its immediate impact at the time, being being this um, this very particular ideology and this very particular uh, whoa, watch out, uh, <laughs> sort of uh, we, we're bad because we wear leather coats and ooh, we're talking about computers and and the stuff's not real. But I also think the fact that it's the way it was stylized means that twenty years on, it actually still looks pretty good um and it th- still works i think so too i think because like 
I it's obviously using nostalgia already like 20 years ago we, st- we were already looking at the nostalgia of computers like the green and the black mm. harks back to the original I had a micro B you know the original Commodores and micro B's the computers of the 80s mm. so the fact they're using that it's was still a very it's like even now it kind of works because it's I don't know it kind of transcends the, the time and you you allow for the different you know technology's obviously moved on from them but you kind of you're okay with it because mm. they're already using these sort of um tropes from 80s technology which is cool, kind of cool yeah i hadn't really considered that to be honest the fact that yeah it is very much the there were a lot of times watching this I, I was being reminded of the Fallout video games and I think it is partly mm. because there's so much green text on black and also when they're on the, the ship in the real world and that, that sort of uh, run-down um, blue-tinted interior decor. I, I, I think those design choices to, to evoke this... Uh, essentially stripping back what computers are to that very base sort of coded numbers uh, system I thought was... Um, it was quite a clever choice because it just reminded me of sitting on my micro b and try and having to type in like you know c d colon backslash backslash joust so i could play joust Mm. which was green and black a little green and black emu running around with a little man on his back jousting things Mm. it was super fun Mm. scott how was this for you the sort of the first time watching it in a few years how how did the film uh stack up Oh, it, it's great. It like it still looks great. Um, it's really fun. The fight choreography is really, <clears throat> really fun as well. Some of the right, like I think this was the most quoted movie in my household. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like I can remember everyone always being like Mr. Anderson. That's a big one. It's huge. Um, and it was. I can do kung fu now. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, it's it, you did laugh at that. The I, as soon as he looked up, went, I know kung fu. I know kung fu now. <laughs> Whoa, sure. Um, it's great. Yeah, it, it's great, but it is now what was like cool at the time, and it, it's like the ultimate edge lord movie. Mm. It is super like edgy, um, but now edginess is become very cliche in twenty years. So there's bits where I'm like. Uh, like when I was like 15, I thought that was the coolest moment in the world. And now, and now I'm just like, oh, oh, Keanu, no. Any, any moments in particular? Um, st- stuff like the, um, the Kung Fu moments, stuff like whenever, whenever Tank is talking, he has this like earnestness um, that like I think Lawrence Fishburne can sell and nobody else can sell. And, j- and just the whole philosophy of like um, uh, there is no spoon. Yeah. Is that air you're breathing? I'm like, oh, all right, it's cool. It's like beginner philosophy. I don't know if either of you have watched Steven Universe. Oh, but, but that's so, the back of my phone. Yeah. Oh, well, well, if we're playing phone games, uh, if you are to give me a call, it's the sound of the teleporter uh, from the base. Um, <laughs> we're real cool. <laughs> yeah, th- thank you. Uh, but the, um, the a lot of what was being spoken in this film reminded me of Ronaldo. And his um, yeah. Keep Beach City weird. And I think it yeah. is interesting that 15 to 20 years on, that sort of, as you're saying, edgelord viewpoint has gone from being, oh, this is kind of like an exciting undercurrent to being, 
uh, this is something that we now know or have become familiar with that we can poke fun at it. Um, you know, in the same way that... Um, in a children's cartoon as well. That's how yeah. far we've got from <laughs> yeah. watch The Matrix grown up and now makes children's television. That's yeah. me- fully meta up. and full on. Uh, yeah, but I think it's interesting that, yeah, that, that The Matrix ha- definitely did become such a big, big part of popular culture because you think back to when you see those moments of like the bullet time uh when when you you know neo's dodging the bullets or he's stopping them and things like that and you can just think of countless parodies of that you know things Mm. like uh in shrek when princess fiona does the jump jump. yeah and they do the rotate and you know all those sorts of movie all the scary yeah was that the one where there was i remember was it no it was kung pao where the cow is shooting milk from its udders um (laughs) and scary movies the one where um she does the, you know, the, what is it, the Crouching Tiger or the Hidden Dragon, one mm. of them. I'm assuming it's one of those. And then the <laughs> the scary face guy falls over and cracks his back. <laughs> classic, classic physical humour of, mm. wait a minute, just got to get a chiropractor for this. It's yeah. great. But, but it was, I mean, this film was a roaring success at the time. Mm. It was absolutely massive. It was a very sort of unprecedented hit as well because there was a lot of, doubts that it would work um because on paper and indeed having just heard it um heard the dialogue it doesn't really seem like it's a script which is really that it should work in a lot of respects like a lot of the language is very um dense and certainly not what you would want uh, if you're a producer for your sort of uh, popular science fiction film it's there's no like wisecracking happy characters in this film the closest you get is mouse who's basically just like want to see this this sexy lady i coded that's that's kind of about as close as you get to that sort of humor. i just couldn't get it, the fact that it was damien from home and away it was irene's son from home and away and he's the first one to die yeah, yeah. there's no there's no wisecracking in the matrix guys yeah but and i, I and I, i'm aware it's a stylistic choice to have everyone being very we're talking very seriously yes and, and serious things are being said and it suits the style, but at the same time, um, it it did feel quite stodgy in a lot of respects watching it. Um, I don't know if I agree with that. I think we see more uh, examples of stodgy, boring, hmm. shit-talking today in films that people think are epic um, to kind of spin some wheels than that one. I think there's definitely some wheel spinning there, but the dialogue was very helpful for someone like me who doesn't Mm. really understand that sort of world. I was like, oh, this is explaining it really nicely and I'm still entertained and I'm still enjoying this. So Mm. I, I quite... I quite enjoyed those scenes when I could hear them. Yeah. I think there was one moment where and he was like EMP and they explained what an EMP is and I was like, Oh yeah, 1999. Yeah. Mm. Oh yeah. Whereas like every like mainstream sci-fi show in the net in the last 20 years is like done an emp thing or legend of Korra has in its final episode that i would see i don't know what that is so i found it really helpful mm. well I, I think that is something that it's a decision obviously the the wachowskis and, and the people behind this film had to make is to go the, we're dealing with some concepts which are not often explored even to this day they're, they're, they're more commonly explored now the nature of different realities and things of that nature but 1999 there's not a huge amount of that in popular entertainment that's being explored and ultimately, even though I I felt as though that dialogue style did make it stodgy, particularly in some of the 
character scenes, like when you've got Neo and, and Trinity having those conversations about going back in to rescue Morpheus. I think that's a sacrifice that you have to make in order to have people understand what it is. Because it is actually a very well-explained film. Mm-hmm. I, I was uh, looking about it and going, oh, no, they've done a really good job with this, particularly... Um, Morpheus, uh, played excellently by Lawrence Fishburne, um, mm. explaining the nature of the fact that this is not reality. Um, yeah, it's it it is it is quite well told, even if the delivery is not something that I I, I think it leaves a little bit to be desired. But it, it's 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 a small gripe on what is otherwise a pretty solid film. And they underplay rather than overplay with actors like Carrie Ann Moss and Keanu Reeves, where everything while it may not have a lot of emotional depth, it's not, like, overacted. Mm. I just... Because Keanu's not known for his emotional depth, you know? Mm. He's had a run of awesome films, but it's always been a bit of a butt of the joke when he's playing, you know, when he's in Bram Stoker's Dracula (laughs) and films like that, and you're like, oh, dude, you shouldn't be... Maybe you shouldn't be in that film, but it it works so perfectly with this because I don't think it's necessarily that he's a bad actor. I think he's at the mercy of the skills that he has. And yeah. so in this, it's so wonderful because as he kind of transforms into the chosen one, Neo, he's really badass. It's kind of cool to watch. Yeah. And I think undoubtedly they they got the casting pretty much bang on with this film. As you said, Carrie Ann Moss was, was very good as Trinity. Mm. Um, and I think the one we really have to touch on is, is Hugo Weaving, mm. who takes essentially a... A, an AI-controlled government drone FBI agent who is as bland as anything can be, as bland as the white snot that they're eating on that ship, and puts in a really compelling performance as an AI that... And he's scary. Uh, yeah. Mm. And he's dangerous. But also, he... towards the end of the film, when he admits to Morpheus that he hates being in the Matrix, and it's like, oh, this is this is really interesting. And it's such, mm. a, such a great performance that, that he that he gives got great eyebrows he's got just the most expressive specific eyebrows mm. they just do great angles they do and really about it. it's arguably why he was so good as elrond in uh the lord it of the rings arguably why he's so good as elrond uh, yeah <laughs> and the fact that he's a great actor but also the eyebrows i think um tegan i made a note because you you said it during the recording you've met hugo weaving yeah i met him a little while ago time to show he off. has excellent eyebrows in real life as well I'm very yeah, i shook his hand and i couldn't do much else he was sitting next to tim minchin mm-hmm. and i think and i think tim minch because well Backstory and a long story short, my sister and Tim Minchin are very good friends because they've been in the industry together for a very long time. And I think Tim Minchin may have got a little bit miffed that I <laughs> cared about <laughs> you go weaving more than him. You have met Tim before. I've met though. Tim several times. He yeah. busted my rib on set. So I feel like I'm warranted to want to meet Hugo Weaving yeah. more than Minchin. But um, Minchin's great, by the way. He's a really lovely guy. He's got to do a Lord of the Rings movie, though. Yeah, yeah, Come that's on. right. Oh gosh, he's got to he's got to be in Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, at some point. But mm. like, he's just he's just a god. <laughs> Hugo Weaving just is is just he is has that energy. That incredible, sort of... yeah. Like those, you only get it, I think, when you from those performers that have this. There's like a humbleness to them. He's not an arrogant jerk or anything, but they. It's like it's bubbling away underneath. You can mm. just. 
I guess it's not just like an actor. It's like anyone who's really, really good at something and you admire them so much. But they yeah. are, when you see them in real life, they're just wearing jeans and a top and you're like, but you know there's like something epic sitting inside there. Probably in the eyebrows, I mm. think. Yeah. I think after you do like Priscilla, Lord of the Rings and The Matrix, you're sort of like, I'm cool. I'm pretty great. Like yeah. you sort of know you're kind of cool. Yeah. So you just wear jeans and t-shirt. He's so cool. Excellent. He is really cool. Well, yes. Well, I'm, I'm I'm very glad that you you got to share that moment and to slightly annoy Tim Minchin as well. <laughs> it probably didn't matter at all. I was no. like, I, I like this a little narrative. This Tim Minchin does. Yeah, careful. <laughs> it's a little narrative I formed in my head. That yes, it miffed him, but it probably didn't. He was probably he's like you the finger. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's why he busted my rib. Mm. Yeah. Well, you know, if you start, if you hear a song in the next year about uh, being ignored by a girl named Tegan in a coffee shop, well. We'll know what that was. Being ignored for Hugo Weaving. Like, <laughs> what a great title for a song. <laughs> um, but yes, um, the the visual effects in this film. Um, at the time, groundbreaking, uh, it's fair to say. Um, the That that first moment of um, where, where Trinity jumps up and the, the shot flips 180 mm. degrees with her frozen still and then kicks... Um, the the cop in the face. I, I it it's a really standout moment. I think it's um, the moment watching this film where it goes. This is this is going to be a bit different um, compared to a lot of your other your other sort of standard action fare from the nineties. Uh, because they obviously you know it, at the time it was made, um, there were a lot of action films being made by Hollywood as there are in pretty much all decades. But mm-hmm. but they were you know very much of the. Um, you know the late uh, Schwarzenegger period. You know things like um, True Lies, or you know they, they, they all have a very particular. True style. Lies is excellent, True, by the way. True Lies is excellent, but it has a Armageddon. Very... Like you got some like mm. Bruce Willis before he came back into his prime again, and Ben Affleck starting out. Yeah, and you have these films where they have their action sequences, despite the fact they're all very different films and all very good. They have a similarity to them which The Matrix just doesn't have. There's yeah. very few moments where, the, in a lot of ways, the Matrix felt quite, quite a lot of the violence and particularly the gunplay almost felt quite personal. I felt as though a lot of the shots they were doing were not quite from a first-person perspective, but were close to it. I, I felt they took you in, particularly in the lobby shootout, they they took you in much closer, or or at least from different perspectives than you would normally see in in other films from that time period. Yeah, you you see like everyone die front on there's no like cut to the back as they like drop to reveal the person who shot them and stuff like that Mm. it's like relatively brutal Mm. i found it really interesting that they used guns as well like even in the real world they're not using guns they use that electro burny thing that you know burnt them all Mm. i find it really interesting that when they come into the matrix, they are they're using weapons of the time. Like it's there's, the electro burning no, thing. Not not yeah. the electro burning thing because it's like there's obviously that conscious choice of uh, using what is at hand. I don't I don't know. Like I found it like theoretically, if they're in the future or they're in this other world, they could probably use whatever they wanted. It it does raise the question, if the Matrix was set in the 1500s, would they have rocked up with a submachine gun or with a pike and a crossbow? And yeah, why it's set there and then, which is obviously because where it it's set when we're watching it yeah. Yeah. or when it was released. Yeah. Where's the lightsabers? <laughs> yeah. It, true. It, it, is, yeah. It, it is that kind of thing. 
yeah. It, I quite like it though. I think it's um. I think I and I'm, I'm maybe not smart enough to figure out why I like it, but I, I just mean that I it, it adds it adds an element to the world instead of just being a cheap and easy way of putting gun violence into a film. It seems to and what you were saying about like the the way it's shot mm. and the brutality of it and the destruction of it as well. Mm. It seems to really enhance what they're trying to say about the creation of that of that world the creation of the reality yeah tying into what agent smith says about we tried to create a happy-go-lucky beautiful blissful world and you Mm. guys didn't like it you know you rebelled against it so we had to make one that was balanced with a lot of shit in it as well because that seems to be what humans want yeah like it, it all makes that work well it's it and it's like a video game i think the the tone of it and the target who, who it's targeting which are like an age range of like 15 to 25 and it's laced with like it ends with rage against the machine playing mm. and it's 1999 and it's this rebellious angry goth culture mm. where it just like it knows its target audience so well yeah. playing violent video games and, and was, all of that it was very reminiscent of fight club i found yeah um which, yeah, it was just a certain stylistic, as well as the stick-it-to-the-manness of the film, it was just a certain style to it, which made it feel like those two were very much of, of, a, of a pair, almost. Like, they'd be a really interesting back-to-back, uh, reality-altering, super-violent, uh, fun <laughs> film night. Um, the, the other thing that I thought was really interesting about the way they used violence in this film was the fact that they really lent heavily into the kung fu, into the martial yeah. arts. And... It was almost as though they realized that because the Matrix could be bent to the will of Neo and of the people in that in that in that world in that fake world, it meant that they could ignore what would be more usual logistical problems of combining martial arts with firearms, which is you'd just get shot and get killed mm. if you're trying to you know kung fu chop somebody with a submachine gun. Um, I, I feel as though they balance those two combative um styles quite well in the film and it's fun and you know it's just fun seeing um you know uh keanu do the slow hand turn around and the come hither fingers <laughs> which are well, my favorite bits when he goes punch agent smith blocks it and he flattens his hand and chokes yeah. him yeah you just hear hugo with and go <laughs> it's real good yeah it's it, it, i mean ultimately it's quite a fun film it's a great film yeah i really enjoyed it yeah so uh, before we get into the trivia i do have to ask uh, the big question of this film, obviously, is do you take the red pill or the blue pill? Tegan Mulvaney, if if Morpheus had turned up, if Lawrence Fishburne walked into this room right now and said that you are the one, mm-hmm. and the red pill will expose all the truth, and the blue pill will allow you to go back to the dream world, what would you pick? Um, I'd like to say I'd take the red pill until, um, um, was it Cypher starts eating that steak and he's loving the steak Mm. and i really like steak and i can get like like then it resonates into other things it's like i love food Mm. and i love the taste of food i don't want to know that the taste of food doesn't really exist (laughs) or Mm. i'm being told i'm like it's a really tricky question i don't you could theoretically load up a restaurant in the safe space that they have and just eat steak true i just don't know if i'm strong-willed enough to know the truth i think i may want to be 
a little bit blissful and ignorant. Mm. I mean, that that's ultimately what Cypher says. And to be honest, Cypher's not an unsympathetic villain in some respects. He he's it it is pretty crappy where they're living, and it'll mess with you. Like that, I I do. I think that it's get how deep it is. Like it would mess with your head if mm. you're not wanting that. Then. Yeah, and It'd be cruel to do that to someone. Yeah, I mean, Cipher is definitely shown to be a villain and not someone that you should side with. But I, I do feel his his motivations are understandable, where he's been exposed to the truth and he wants to go back, uh, yeah. and he and he can't. And the way for him to go back is to obviously betray everyone because he feels it's a lost cause anyway. Um, but the fact that the key thing for him is that he won't remember anything. But this is the thing. It reminds me of so when there's some medical procedures you have to get where. You have to be conscious for it. But because it's traumatic, they give you a drug that makes you forget it. So like if you have to have like things up your butt or something like that. Mm. So you, that's something that we kind of have <laughs> in real life. And right. there's that – I remember my mum having to um, go into hospital for something like this once and she, facing, she was facing that dilemma where she was like, I don't want to – I don't want to go through that. And the nurses and doctors were saying, but – you won't remember it afterwards. We'll give you something to forget it. And she's like, but I still have to go through it. Yeah. You don't like mm. what's, what's the lesser of the two evils going through it or the memory of going through it. Mm. Like it, that's what that kind of makes me think of that dilemma of going. Yeah. Yes. The reality is that you're a weird baby covered in goo mm. and you're about to get sucked up by a robot, but you can eat a steak. Yeah. And not know that. Not know the goo bit. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know what, what I would pick personally, but now having been made aware of these drugs that help you forget things, <laughs> I'm going to hold on to them for any children, future children. For any butt stuff. Yeah. Uh, for butt stuff specifically, yes, but also for, for any um, for any like future children's theatrical productions, uh, you know, primary school shows. I'll be like, yep, yeah, go on, little Timmy. Look. <laughs> Just oh. take him to community theatre shows just in case. Yeah. Like you might see brilliance, yeah. but oh boy. Yeah. Soon, yeah, yeah. If, if you hear the first five notes of Oklahoma and it's not good, crack it open. <laughs> <laughs> You're set for the evening. Uh, Scott, I'm curious, red, blue or blue pill? Red, what, I said whatever Lawrence wants me to do. Okay. I love that man. Yeah, really you, do. you do you do seem to have a bit of a, an admiration for Mr. Fishman. I really I mean, I love him in these movies and then he did Hannibal and like... He's he has the the fight scene in the bathroom in this with Mr. Smith is just like exactly like his fight scene in Hannibal season two with Hannibal. Mm. It's just so good, mm. and he just sells it. He's just like so captivating. Yeah, um, and he's like he even makes great stuff like when he's in the Superman movies. He's just great in the like five minutes that he has. Yeah, I remember I recently saw um, Ant Man and the Wasp, mm. and he's got quite a really kind of almost like a throwaway role in a lot of respects yeah but he really makes it work um and it's yeah he's he's, he's, a, he's giant man he's great in nightmare on elm street 3 well, i thought that was larry, larry. fishburne oh that is larry fishburne <laughs> yeah um it's alter ego yeah it's it, it it is just a really a really interesting film and it, it, you can see how much of an impact that that the Matrix has had. Um, would you guys like some trivia about the Matrix? Yes, please. Mm-hmm. Okay. The legendary Hong Kong stunt coordinator Wu Ping Yun initially refused to work on the film. Uh, he received the script. He liked it, uh, but wasn't 
necessarily convinced he should do it, so he asked for an exorbitant fee. Uh, the Wachowskis were like, yep, you can have that. Uh, so then he formulated what he considered an impossible request, saying he'd only agree to do it if he had complete control of all the fights and that he trained the actors for four months. And the Wachowskis went, yep. <laughs> so in the end... Where did they get all their money from? Well, they didn't have that much money. That was the thing. Wow. They, they, this was a $60 million picture. It's which even in 1999 money. What did they made before that? Because I feel like that's a lot of money and a lot of like and a big gamble on two Aussies with not much behind them. And I know that probably that's really ignorant to say because obviously those people work very very hard before they get these opportunities. But it's home it, and away. They just worked on home and away. Oh mm. man, it's where they had half their actors from. So <laughs> great. So the Wachowskis. Started out uh, in terms of film writing, they did script work on uh, Assassins in 1994, oh. um, which was re- directed by Richard Donner. Um, they then put together a neo-noir thriller called Bound in 1996. Mm, they wrote the script yep. and that was their debut as directors. I saw that a long time ago. Is it good? Yeah, I remember it being like decent. Mm. Um, and then from that, the next thing that they did was... The Matrix. So The Matrix was essentially their second picture. But they were working on The Matrix the same time that they were working on Bound and the same time... Because they worked on the script for about five years and they were giving it to different people and saying, read this, what do you think? And obviously most people were going, it's unfilmable. Um, But they eventually managed to convince enough people um, with the right money and with the right uh, say um, to to get the project greenlit. They, They actually spent quite a lot of pre-production without um, without the financial backing to make the film initially. Jeez. It was quite late that Warner Brothers came in and said, okay, we'll fund it. They initially only gave them $10 million, reportedly. Um, and so they focused on just getting that opening sequence done, sent that to Warner Brothers, and they went, okay, here's the rest. Make the film. So, yeah. So they're smart cookies. That's how they got this film done. Yeah, and uh, you know, obviously, it was a lot of a lot of hard work, and there is actually a fair bit of um, he said, she said sort of business about um, things like you know, Warner Brothers said, oh no, we gave them the money pretty much straight away, and other people go, maybe not, mm. um, but but they managed to get it made. Uh, one of the things that helped get it made for less money was the fact it was filmed uh, predominantly in Sydney. In Sydney, because gimmicks in the background. Yeah, and one the final shot scene that made me giggle. Yeah, and one shot with the Sydney Harbour Bridge just visible between <laughs> two buildings. Um, the reason they shot in Australia was because it it reduced the cost of the film. If they tried to make that same film in America, it would have cost one hundred and eighty million dollars. That's why they still film a lot of American films in Australia because mm-hmm. it's cheaper. Yeah, so, um, yeah, that was that was also part of it. But, they, I mean, they clearly made the money back. <laughs> they mm. did very well with it. Because um, it'd be one of those films where, on paper, for some for Warner Brothers, like, if they, were, they had their finger on the pulse, they'd be able to go, well, this is very much our, de- our target demographic as far as the age goes, but only if they were kind of... They understood cult, pop culture at the time. Yeah. Like, whereas it could be the opposite, where people could just go... This is too. This is too much. This is too far out of out of what we're making right now. Like mm. it's, it's kind of one way or the other. So it's. I, I think the big saving grace for the Matrix is that it was different. Yeah, it, it's still different now. To be honest, yeah, you don't have a cultural revolution with doing the same old stuff. And yeah. I think people like Warner Brothers sort of know that. Yeah, that sometimes you need to take a gamble on something that could change the game. Yeah, and it did 
and sixty million dollars, it's a lot of money, but it's not the biggest gamble to make in the world. No. Carrie Ann Moss twisted her ankle while shooting one of her scenes, but decided not to tell anyone until after filming so that they wouldn't recast her. Gosh. She's so smart. <laughs> mm. See, she knew she was on a good thing. Yeah. Would have been a fun character to play. Yeah, you know, run around in leather, shoot some dudes, uh, yeah. be in a spaceship. She's just, like, woefully unused since then. I, I, yeah, I, I, I was thinking, what has she been up to recently? And I Jessica Jones! Ah, right. She's so good in it. Lawrence Fishburne stated that once he read the script, he did not understand why other people found it confusing. However, he uh, did say that he had doubts if a movie could ever be, if the movie could ever be made because it was, to quote him, so smart. Um, end quote. Which I think is a little bit of Lawrence Fishburne <laughs> bragging. Going, what a wanker! Yeah. Well, I understood it. Well, I believe him. Yeah, I believe anything Lawrence says. If he believes it, he believes That's it. So funny! What a tosser! What a yeah, in the best possible way. What an arrogant tosser to He's per- say that. Perfect to play Morpheus. Though. It's great. I love yeah. it. Well, it's perfectly fine. I understood it. I'm perfectly smart. Yeah, it's I so am great. so smart. No one else believes in Neo but me. No one else about... believed. No one else believed in the Matrix but me. What did he think about Event Horizon? Then I'd love to hear what he thought about that. <laughs> that it is precious. Mm. <laughs> Uh, according to the costume designer Kim Barrett, Trinity's costume was made with cheap PVC because of the tight budget. Similarly, Neo's coat was was not uh, very expensive at all. It was made with a wool blend purchased for three dollars a yard. Oh, that's I like knowing that. Yeah, that's cool. So yeah, when I was watching it, and it's like they do look cool, and I was like, but that's that is a cheap outfit. <laughs> it's just cheap but well made on Trinity. On Trinity and Neo, yeah, but both cheap. It looks PVC. The budget was tight, as were the clothes. Yeah. Are very tight. Um, the studio insisted on a great deal of explanatory dialogue as they described the screenplay as being the script that nobody understands. Or at the very least, the script that film executives don't understand. But it's Lawrence like Keanu's, Fishburne does. It, it's like Keanu's other movie, The Bus That Couldn't Slow Down. <laughs> <laughs> All scenes that take place within the Matrix have a green tint, as you may have noticed from the green tint at the beginning of the film uh, on all the logos. Tegan predicted this. Yeah, uh-huh. she was she was on it. Um, as Super smart, guys. The impression- I don't know why anyone else had a problem with it. <laughs> <laughs> You're a regular Larry Fishburne. <laughs> The, the, the idea of the green tint was to make it so that it was as though you were looking at it through a computer monitor, while scenes in the real world had a blue tint. Blue was also used at a minimum in the Matrix scene, since the directors thought that blue was more of a real-world colour. Um, the fight scene between Neo and Morpheus, which is neither in the real, real world or the Matrix, is tinted yellow. Ah. So there's a lot of good colour coding going Very on. clever. Pictures with blue... Get a twenty get twenty five percent more likes and engagement on social media than pictures without blue, because really? we love the real world. After the lobby shootout, the camera pans back, showing the aftermath of the gunfight in the lobby. During this, a piece of one of the pillars falls off. This was uh, not intended. Awesome, <laughs> but it it's so good. Yeah, it's like the perfect beat. Yeah, and they went, let's keep it because it is. They were just like, oh, oh, yep, that works. It stays. Uh, there's a lot of alternate casting options for um, The Matrix, and we will get to mm. most of the rest of them later, but the one we have to flag right now is that the alternate Neo uh, could have been... Ha-ha! Will Smith. Uh, very much Ooh. could have been him. Uh, he turned down the role of Neo to appear in Wild Wild West. Wicked Wicked Wild Wild West. But he, got, he, he got to rap in that. 
Would he have wrapped the Matrix's theme song with that? Was oh, that his condition? As to he would have done it if they had allowed him to rap in it. Mm. Here come the Matrix guys. Well, it's still here come the Men in Black. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> yeah, he could have just put on his Men in Black costume and confused them. It would have been great. Um, what he did say though um, afterwards was that at the time he was not mature enough as an actor to have played that role, and said had he ended up as Neo, he would have messed it up. He says he had no regrets about throwing it away from that perspective, and that Keanu was brilliant. That implies that he's mature enough to play it now, and I don't think he is. He's humble bragging like Lawrence Fishburne. Yeah, he's going. No, oh, yeah, yeah. Good cover, Will. When Belinda McClary auditioned for the role of Switch, she was only going for half the role. The character was originally planned to be played by androgynous actors. Uh, in the real world, it would have been played by a male actor, and in The Matrix, uh, would have been in a female form, hence the name Switch. Uh, Warner Brothers refined the idea to not being that idea, essentially, and so she ended up playing the same part in both environments. But I think that's an interesting thing to touch on with, obviously, what we have now seen from the Wachowskis, because they are credited in this film as the Wachowski brothers, and we now know them today as the Wachowski sisters. And I do, I, I think they maybe allude to that when they come into The Matrix, because she is dressed in a muscle shirt, I think. She looks like she's maybe been strapped down. Yeah, a, a, bit, a, bit, a bit of chest binding yeah, was the impression, um, yeah. I noticed that when when she gets, yeah, like, they, they've obviously been able to put some of that androgyny back into it and having her in white with everyone else in mm. in the black. Like, I, um, because, oh, because it's really, because that's, it's interesting what they talk about with that, you know, they talk about who you are in the Matrix is who is your own memories of what you perceive yourself to look like yeah so the fact that she's you know more masculine in that setting is really interesting yeah and i think it was even a comment you made while we were watching the film was that 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 whole point of the matrix being a prison um is very analogous of the way that obviously some people that have um have transitioned uh, between genders do mm. do have that feeling when they I are think that a... idea of rules like that mm. that we are that there are rules to follow is what it maybe felt like it was alluding to like a gender a, a gender binary a you know a, a whole lot of binaries a whole lot of setups that seem to be programmed into us through whatever and it it just resonated whether it was intentionally done or not, whether they knew that about themselves, but, you know, back when they made the film 20 years ago or not, I wonder if there was some sort of subconscious link to, mm. to that and how they were they, how they were feeling because, and, sorry. Well, there's that clean slate as well when they're like freed and they wake in those pods where they're hairless, Completely. androgynous. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, there's no sexual organs. There's nothing. It's just just a body Mm. i find that again whether it's intentional or not i think it's a really important uh kind of concept that maybe needs is good to address now Mm. because of their own journeys that they've had with with this yeah and i think yeah i think it's definitely it's it's certainly something that affects the viewing knowing that um i'd be curious if if we got somebody who had no idea who the Wachowskis were, 
um, and and what had happened to them in their lives, and you sat them down and watched this film, whether or not they get that same. Yeah, reading. definitely. I I, yeah. I would agree with that. But I think it is interesting that a lot of the ideas which can be connected to to their experiences are present in this film. Mm. Um, yeah. According to the Wachowskis, all animals in the Matrix universe are computer-generated images. So cats aren't real, Tegan. I'm Thank sorry. Thank God. <laughs> so I work at the Cat Haven, so that means that means 480 cats don't need to be rehomed. Yes. <laughs> That's great. The filming of the helicopter scene nearly caused the film to be shut down because they flew the helicopter through restricted Sydney airspace. Laws in New South Wales were then changed to allow filming to continue. So they changed the law to allow them to do all those helicopter shots. Man, that would not happen in New South Wales at the moment. Mm. No, lockout laws. <laughs> you want you want to give him pills? Red or blue there, right out. Not after 2am. What is this, some kind of helicopter festival? <laughs> Shut it down. Uh, if you're an international listener, uh, you might need to look up what's Just happening. Google Mark Latham. And, and if they're in Don't. New South Wales, why? Why did you make the choices you made Shame. a week ago? Yeah. Shame. You came back, Scott. You saw the light. <laughs> I, I knew what was coming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Also, don't encourage people to Google Mark Latham. That's cruel. <laughs> um, the actors and actresses of the film were required to be able to understand and explain the Matrix. The book Simulacra and Simulation, which has a cameo in this film, mm-hmm. uh, was required reading for most of the principal cast and crew. Keanu Reeves stated that the Wachowskis had him read both uh, Simulacra and Simulation, Out of Control, and Evolutionary Psychology before he was allowed to read the script. Carrie-Anne Moss commented that she had difficulty with this process. So, where, And Lawrence Fishburne presumably just sat there all smug going, I understand. Yeah, I already read that. Uh, actually, I wrote it. <laughs> Although most studio executives read the script, loved the ideas, they had extreme difficulty imagining how this would translate onto the screen. So the Wachowskis hired the leading illustrators Steve Scross and Jeffrey Darrow, who created over 600 storyboards. Executives were then reportedly sold after seeing the bold vision on display and greenlit the film. The film with a lot of green lighting uh-huh, in it. greenlit, yeah. <laughs> That's uh, IMDb doing a little bit of a funny there. One wasn't even me. Uh, The iconic sunglasses worn by the Matrix characters are from the cultish label Blindy, or blind with the letter E on the end, uh, which prides itself on producing handmade glasses. The company's founder, Richard Walker, um, had to tender against larger companies such as Ray-Ban and Arnett to win the film's sunglasses contract, and set himself apart by scratch-designing pairs of glasses based purely on the characters' names. Wow. Uh, when the tender was successful, Walker was flown to Sydney, where he spent the duration of the shoot custom designing sunglasses for the cast in the back of an Oxford Street optometrist. Can I tell you a funny story about glasses that's related to a totally different film, but I, it well, just reminded me of it because it's funny. As someone who used to work in an optometrist, ah, I, yes, I, I was I hoping we would get to this. this, uh, is, this you isn't, worked in Gordon's optometrist. Yeah, I worked for yeah. Gordon. Uh, no, but this isn't anything to do with my time in the optometrist. This is when uh, when they debuted the great gatsby so when the great gatsby mm. had its premiere in la um they tried to get collab that which is a sunglasses maker to make 3d glasses so they had really cool gorgeous 3d glasses because it was all shot in 3d and everyone with you know beyonce was there and jay-z and all of these people but they di- they didn't do it in time so everyone had to watch um <laughs> great gatsby in 3d with the shitty plastic <laughs> 
ones that you get at Hoyt's. I was hoping it was like the paper one. one. So they're all sitting here in all their glam gear and these terrible, like, crap (laughs) ones that you end up with a big collection of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They all had to sit there with those. Even Beyonce and Jay-Z, so great. Yeah, How good is that image, right? Oh, it's a pleasing image. It's even more pleasing when, uh, obviously, those particular glasses are known for... Not being particularly clean because <laughs> yes. of their high rotation and almost certainly would have had fecal matter on them. So funny. So great. Mm. Just all lined up in a row, you know? Mm. Joel Edgerton, Leonardo DiCaprio, Toby Maguire, Beyonce, Jay-Z. Mm. I just love that image. I just wanted to say that. No, that is that is A-OK. <laughs> That's why we get an optometrist on for glasses content. Hey, hey. Uh, numerous sets of identical twins were cast as extras in the Woman in Red scene in which Morpheus takes Neo through a computer simulation of the Matrix. Uh, the tall man with slick back hair and sunglasses in the opening shot is then seen a few seconds later as a police officer writing a parking ticket. So basically all the extras had an identical twin to show, oh, look, they're all yeah, similar looking. They were created. Yeah, where I'm like, that's cool. I like ye. I like ye a lot. Uh, on the first day of shooting, Hugo Weaving suffered an injury to his leg. It was revealed to be a polyp that had to be surgically removed. Oh, what was his like first day of shooting? Like, What scenes do you reckon they were? Uh, it doesn't actually say here, but basically what it meant was that um, they have to shift the schedule so all of his stunt work would take place towards the end of the shoot. So I'm going to guess... That first scene, he doesn't yeah. chase Trinity. The other agent does. Yeah. He he gets out. I, I'm guessing it's when he got out of the um, oh, the, the truck. truck. Yeah. After oh my leg. <laughs> <laughs> well, sorry, guys. Um, Still cooler than Tim Minchin. Uh, even with the, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, even with that polyp information. <laughs> no, it's really bad. Tim Minchin. Sorry, no, sorry Tim. <laughs> shitting on Minchin. <laughs> yeah. He's there going. I haven't even had a polyp. Oh. <laughs> Uh, In an online interview, uh, when the film was first released, the Wachowskis revealed that they would have both taken the blue pill. Yeah. I think that's smart. Mm. I think that's the smart option. You don't get much of a film out of that one, though. No. No. Uh, All right, let's discuss some alternate castings. Um, According to Don Davis, the original first choice for Neo was Johnny Depp. Mm. Oh. Warner Brothers... Didn't really want Johnny Depp. Uh, They wanted Brad Pitt or Val Kilmer. Uh, Val Kilmer and Brad Pitt both said no, and then the choice came down to being between Johnny Depp and Keanu Reeves. Keanu was very keen on the concept, and his his sort of enthusiasm for it was what ultimately pushed them over the edge Mm. to give it to Keanu. Kilmer would have been cool, but he's such a douche. Like, I don't know if he could have carried the film. I think... Mm. Part of what works for that character with Keanu is, I think, maybe because Keanu Reeves is quite a nice person. Yeah. Maybe. I don't know if that's me kind of mixing a character and an actor together, but I think that kind of comes through. Mm. There's a there's no arrogance to his performance at yeah. all. I, I think you would get a more arrogant Neo with Val Kilmer. Yeah. I think that's fair. And the thing about Neo is that he doesn't believe in himself. That's it. Yeah. Pitt yeah. Pit would be too confident. And he'd have to, they'd have to have so much more of a food budget. Yeah. Because he'd have to be eating in every scene. Which is... Are you sure? This tastes good. He'd just be eating that steak off. off <laughs> Where did that guy get popcorn? <laughs> <laughs> um, Gary Oldman was considered for Morpheus at one point. Yeah. Well, he's, no, he's no Larry. No. Uh, as was Samuel L. Jackson, the L, I presume, standing for Larry. Oh, Sam Jackson's pretty great. He is. 
I feel like we kind of got his Morpheus thing with Nick Fury, though. Yeah. I feel like we've, we've seen... We've had, we've had our cake and eaten it, too, in this particular case. He, I don't think he's as imposing as Fishburne. I think Fishburne has that... Yeah. That he's so big and imposing, yeah. but so... There's a gentleness. Yeah. It's a real kind of juxtaposition of things. I think he's a great casting. I, I don't, don't think... I can't see Sam Jackson doing martial arts. Again, he's, yeah. and he's timid to a... He's got... The persona is the the dickhead persona, you know, the, yeah. like the... Care, care less You don't need that You need someone yeah. who cares Sandra Bullock Turned down the role of Trinity Oh good Yeah um, I, She would have been alright She would have been different Yeah It would have been a, a lot speed, of breathing It would have been a speed reunion though. That's the only thing <laughs> A lot of like Loud uh, breathing Into a microphone That's what would it, They would But I think that's You're right though They would have just been like Speed reunited Yeah so, uh, yeah. Another actress who turned down the role of Trinity was um, the X-Files' own Gillian Anderson. Oh, okay. I'm slightly outraged now. Yeah. I, I, knew this, I knew this would get you. Oh, she's so good. And she's also so good in Hannibal. Mm. But she's too, maybe she's too little. Because uh, the fact that Carrie Ann Moss is so mm. kind of, again, like the look of her compared with everyone else, yeah. I think works so well. And <laughs> Gillian Anderson's about five foot. Yeah, she's she's not the tallest. Uh, I love but, her as well. But I mean, I think she would have been great in the part. Yeah. But yeah, it is one of those where Carrie Ann Moss does such a good job. It's hard to imagine someone else doing it well. Um, speaking of X Files, David Duchovny was linked with the role of Neo, but reportedly turned it down for staying on the X Files. He's got a great look for it, and he's mm. got that same kind of neutral out. vibe about him as well. Mm. It's very like stoic. Yeah. He is also friends with Tim Minchin. <laughs> Oh, there you go. Is he actually? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's why they did, when they did Californication. Yeah. They got along so well that um, Tim was only meant to be in one episode, but they loved each other so much. They formed this like full on bromance. So they just kept writing him into the show, <laughs> giving him more episodes because they, they got along. So it was, so it was a really sweet story. That I feel like great. I need to redeem my own. Yeah. What I said, <laughs> but it's a really lovely story. I was about to say, if David Duchovny met Hugo Weaving, they would have. Oh, would have been that's whole love. Why are your eyes screaming anger while you say this lovely story, though, Tegan? It's weird. <laughs> I can't help it because he broke my rib. Mm. And Hugo Weaving hasn't done that. He's too. never done that. Yeah. No, he's just looked into my eyebrows. Mm. Uh, Russell Crowe turned down the role of Morpheus. Good. Uh, there's a quote for it as well. He said. I just didn't get it. I couldn't get past page 42. That world was just not interesting to That's me. That's a very specific page to get to where he's like, 42, when they're like, guns, lots of guns, I'm out. That's when he realised there was 13 pages with no dialogue for Morpheus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, ah, Morpheus loses the fight? Morpheus not the one? I'm out. Yeah. I just like the fact that he just said, I just didn't get it. Just the complete opposite of what Lawrence Fishburne was saying. He's just like... <laughs> Nah, it's dumb. Don't care. Um, Ewan McGregor turned down the role of Neo because he was in Star Wars: Phantom Menace. Oh, great! Which well, is we got we got we got the best been, part of the prequels. He would have been pretty good. Mm. Uh, Jean Renault was approached Ooh. to play Agent Smith. Oh, cool. That would be cool! He turned it down for Godzilla, and also because he was unwilling to relocate to Australia for such a long time. That's fair. So he's made his thoughts clear on us. <clears throat> uh, <laughs> but yeah, he he would have been a good Agent Smith. Yeah. Not not. To a Hugo Weaving level of excellence. He's more of a Tim Minchin in he this does, conversation. He does. <laughs> Stop. Let's get Tim to Hugo. Where do you sit? All my scenes are going to be cut from the yeah. new series that's coming out. He's going to sit there and go, what? Cut them! I'm going to say that. I've got some, got some leftover uh, 
got some leftover music here from the uh, Cardinal Pell songs. <laughs> I'm just going to write a bit of a song about it. A... No, don't you think, leave me you the think, Cardinal Pell. You think your rib was the worst thing he could break? <laughs> Wait till he breaks your spirit. <laughs> um, one final bit of trivia. Uh, Carrie Ann Moss was ca- a cast member of the short-lived 1993 TV show Matrix. Ah. Don't know what it was about, but she was in it. Alrighty, all that remains for us to do is to score the film. Tegan, we start with you as our person who hasn't seen the film before. What would you give The Matrix out of 10? I loved it. It was fun. Um, I, I'm glad I saw it now. I don't, I don't know if I would have enjoyed it as a 15. I, I was kind of stuck in two worlds as a 15-year-old where I still liked like pop and pop music and like the everyday kind of crap that we were supposed to like but then i loved my my green days and my you know like uh you know beginnings of emo sort of stuff um so i'm glad i saw it now i guess the special effects and i kind of hate myself for saying this because i always preach on this podcast that i don't like when people (laughs) go well it looks so dated Mm. when it's made in the 70s or the 80s or the 90s like well of course it looks dated but (laughs) some of the special effects just were a little bit they did take me out of it a little bit mm. but i'm gonna give it eight and a half belly button crabs out of ten yeah that's an effect that i think maybe didn't date that well when the oh man that thing. still scares the shit out of that me. one i didn't mind my Could, yeah. my biggest one was the um the you know the big the epic one which is carrie ann moss swinging with the thing exploding yeah it just um the ripple where it's like glass doesn't bend that way yeah it that didn't there is no glass <laughs> And and the one where she slams into into the mirror and her moot just hits the mirror again. It just looks so awkward and painful. I was like, oh, moot smash. Like it was just, I, I giggle. I shouldn't giggle at that, but I did. Mm. Um, yeah, that those little bits and pieces. But eight and a half, definitely okay. out of 10. Okay. Scott? I give it eight disappointing prophecies that are wrong out of 10. But are they wrong? Uh, not to go further into the trilogy for people who haven't heard it, but my understanding... I don't care. I'm not going to watch them. Well, just in case there's anyone who plans on watching the um, apparently disappointing sequels, kind of in retrospect, that's kind of what they've been viewed as. I know you think the second one is the best one, Scott. You give the second one an eight and a half. But a lot of the people don't like the, particularly the third one. Um, oh, I give that If you want to watch them, I think there's many copies at um, all the cash converters all over the world. That's true. Um, but the prophecy that the Oracle gives, uh, I think Neo's prophecy about it being him or Morpheus ends up being true in a roundabout sort of way. Sure. Yeah. But the Oracle was kind of weird. I, I, I will grant you that. It's she has like, great stuff. In the second movie, she has like a much better scene. I, th- I I think so as well. In this film, it felt a bit... Not not, not plot device but it kind of just felt like... It was necessary for, for what happens with Neo going back into the Matrix to go and rescue Morpheus. But at the same time, the actual scene itself, which is a perfectly nice scene... It, it did just feel a bit... I, I felt it was missing something, and I can't put my finger on what it is. I don't think it's the best shot scene out of any of them. I, I like the stuff with the kids, but I think when we get into the kitchen, they kind of go through it pretty quickly, and it's pretty bland. They kind of cut yeah. between just two pretty average angles in it, which made it seem a bit just blah. Mm. And you don't get a good grip of, like, who's playing her. Yeah. I I think that's right. I mean, you know, with all the... They talked about all the 
the addition of all the explanation dialogue, I think if that scene had been a little bit deeper, you wouldn't have had to then have Morpheus go, she told you what you wanted to hear, which was one of the explanation lines, which was like, nah, oh, we, oh, I wish that wasn't needed. Like mm. if there was more to play with in that scene, maybe. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It, it, it just feels as though it, it, it missed something. Uh, whatever it was. Yeah, I, I think a grip on who she is and her origin a little bit more and how she's not human or anything like that, which you get a bit more of in the second one mm-hmm. where she's almost like this how higher power upon itself where you get a vibe of that. Right. And that she works in mysterious ways. Ooh. For me, I, I quite like the film, uh, but I, I, I don't think it... I don't know if I ever really liked The Matrix that much in terms of... I, it was never when I watched it and I was in that sort of uh, demographic of, of what they were aiming for. I enjoyed the action sequences. Um, I, you know, thought bits of it looked cool, but it was never something where I was like, well, I'm going to go out and buy a, a PVC leather coat and run around and do all that kind of thing. But I think that is a sign of the age because if you saw it, five years after it was made. So you said you saw it 15 years ago. So we're into the 2000s then. It would have been early 2000s. I think it's a... Yeah. I think it's a very much a product of that late 90s millennium mm. sort of coming into that world sort of thing and the fears that people had around that time about okay. technology. So I wonder if that, if that plays... I know it's only a few years I'm talking about. But there was a big change in I, I really think so. I noticed that with my... My partner is four years younger than me and I noticed that with him even just something about that time period. Hmm. Just we have different kind of uh, with totally different understandings of what it was like to hmm. be in there because I was well into my – I was 15, hmm. 15, 16 in that time and it was a bit of a crazy world. You know, we, we, we were – kind of had we had the technology we were starting to get all these technology and computers were becoming a thing everyone i knew was because i hung out with a lot of nerds who loved prodigy and all that sort of stuff Mm. were building their own computers and were exploring that sort of stuff for the first time and were hacking like hackers and all that was so it was really really big Mm. um i wonder if it's just that couple of years either side of that that changes it maybe could be maybe but for me, I think I would give this film um, seven and a half non-existent spoons out of ten. <laughs> um, it was, it still holds up. It's it's worth a watch. Um, and I, I, I'll be honest, I I did have quite a fun time rewatching it. It's fun, it's yeah, a, I had fun. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so, uh, Tegan and Scott, thank you very much for joining me on this episode of the podcast. Thank you. No worries. And for those of you listening at home. Guess what? what? You can get in touch with us in any number of ways. How? We can be found on Facebook. No. Which is also on the internet. Get out. And arguably a bit scarier than The Matrix. <gasps> uh, but we can be found there by uh, just searching for the Cinema Catch-Up Club on Facebook. Leave us a like, leave us a comment, whatever you want. Cool. We can also have the podcast sent directly to your device. How? By subscribing no. to the Cinema Catch-Up Club on SoundCloud or iTunes <gasps> or other podcasting and podcatching services. Spotify? It's probably there. <laughs> I actually don't know. Uh, I'll have a look. Luminod? I uh, don't know what that is. I just made that up. Oh, well, that's why. <clears throat> and we are also on Patreon. That's right. You can become an official member of the club. And yeah, you can get some bonus goodies like... Take all, a pill. 
Yeah, like all the times I cut out uh, Tim uh, Tim Minchin being <laughs> ragged on in this podcast. <laughs> you can get all of that and more uh, by going to patreon.com forward slash CCUC podcast. You're just going to cut me from the entire podcast. It's just going to be you and Scott. Who said that? <laughs> what? Uh, and that's all for this week. So until Hello. next time, goodbye. <laughs> I'm real, right? <laughs> You have been listening to a Thought Jar Productions podcast. For more information, please visit thoughtjarproductions.com.